All right, we are going to get right back into it. If you want to grab your seat. I'm going to pass around. If you came in today, maybe you didn't get one, but most of you got the newsletter. It's a free newsletter. If you would like to have that, I'm going to pass around if you'd like to get a free two-year subscription. If you just want it on email, you just give us your email. If you want it snail mail, go ahead and give, it to, give us the address and all of that. And you can get the, the newsletter. So I'll pass that around. If we can get that around all the way, I'll start over here, and then you guys can move it around. I appreciate it. I'll put my pen in with it there. Somebody said last hour, I talk fast. I'm sorry, I do. And I get excited and I get going, but was that understandable the first hour? Do you feel like you have a good overview of the religion? Well, I'm going to talk about sharing the good news with Mormons, a book that is on the back table, Practical Strategies for Getting the Conversation Started. I'm going to tell you about a strategy that has worked for me and it's going to help me teach you about salvation in Mormonism. This PowerPoint is available at the website, themiracleofforgiveness.com. Go there. It's on PDFs, so I think two different ones. This is the book that I'll be talking about. Somebody stopped me here on the way out and said, isn't that an LDS book? And the answer is yes. So I'll tell you all about that. I was going to the airport on Thursday with my wife. We were Ubered about a half hour away to, from our home to the airport. A black lady from West Africa, her English was good, it was hard to understand, but uh, we, you know, we, we chit-chatted. I usually don't, I don't get right into a conversation with somebody, but we passed a temple that's being built in Taylorsville, right off the freeway, and she says, oh, I can't wait to go in there. I said, oh, are you LDS? And she said, well, yes, I am, but I'm not very good at it. I don't go to church. She's a single mom, I think. I, I assumed she was a single mom with two kids. She says, Sundays are just so busy. I have to get the laundry done. I have to get ready for the week. I just don't have time. But she says, it's all about being a good person. I said, oh, really? So do you feel you're a good person? Oh, I'm doing my best. I'm trying. I said, okay, well, what does your religion have to say about that? Well, long story short, what I'm going to share with you right now is what I did for the next 15 minutes with this young lady uh, young lady, she's probably, uh, probably in her mid-30s, but um, came from West Africa, lives here in, lives in Utah where I'm from, and uh, all she knew was Mormonism. Possibly the Mormons helped her to establish in Utah, and so probably she was able to, you know, when, when she first moved over from her country, she knows eight different languages. Can you imagine? Eight languages. And my wife says, oh, you, it must be nice for you to be able to talk to a lot of people. She says, well, none of the languages anybody speaks. There are all these little tribal languages that she knew. And uh, she doesn't even speak French. I thought maybe West Africa, I thought maybe she would speak French. She doesn't even speak French. But anyway, um, the information that I'm going to share with you in this next hour, I think can be helpful. So let's talk about this book called The Miracle of Forgiveness. And I'm showing it to you right here. I have copies, by the way, in the back if you're interested in this topic. Um, I actually have highlighted what I will highlight and hand these books out to Latter-day Saints. And by the way, I did hand that lady at the end. I, I, I shared the gospel with her. I always share the gospel. And you, you should be able to share the gospel in three minutes or less. And I was able to share the gospel. I asked her if she, I, I said, you, you need to read the Bible. You just need to read the Bible. I can, I'd encourage you in a modern language uh, to read it. And the King James, can you imagine being a, it's your second language and trying to study the King James so hard? 
I, I recommend a modern language uh, for that purpose. But I said, would you like a book that I just wrote? called Introducing Christianity to Mormons. I told her a little bit about the book. She says, oh, yes. She says, I want to see what you have to say about this. So I gave her the book when we got out um, at the airport, pulled out the suitcase, pulled out the book, wrote my name in there uh, and a phone number. You just never know. I was just telling somebody earlier, you know, we're, we're not required to win people to the Lord. That's God's job. We're only in sales. God is in production. If you think that you're the one winning people, I'm sorry, the Bible doesn't teach that you're the one winning. Now, you certainly are used by God, but it's him that brings people to himself, and he uses us. Isn't that great? Praise God uh, that we have that opportunity. So this is a book written by an apostle. Remember the sequence, prophet, counselors, apostle. One of the top 15 leaders, Spencer W. Kimball in 1969. It's a classic. It's an old book. He spent more than a decade working on the book. And a few years later, he became the 12th president of the church. So in 1973, all of a sudden now he's the 12th president. So this is apostle and then the top leader. And this is a book that has been uh, considered to be a classic, has been used in lessons, teaching lessons with, uh, in, in, in Mormonism. There's two-fold strategy I have in using this book, and I know that is confusing for you right now. Trust me, I'll explain it all, uh, how this works. But I want to show the Latter-day Saint that Spencer W. Kimball got it right in his exegesis. Exegesis is taking out of the, out of the passage in the interpretation of unique LDS scripture. I think he gets it right. I disagree with him regularly. In fact, I don't really agree with anything he has to say, but I think he gets it right as far as what his religion teaches using the standard works. So number one, I want to show that he was right. And a lot of Latter-day Saints, when they see me handing this out, they don't know what to do with it. You're handing out one of our books. Why would you hand out one of these books? Number two, show the Mormon that nobody is capable of doing everything that Kimball said must be done. Nobody can do. If he's right on this, we're all sunk. And that is a problem. I started this strategy back in 2014. I like to go to temple open houses, as I was telling you about earlier. Uh, I did the one here in Spokane back in the late 90s. Um, I was just at Alab in Alabama back in um, July. Uh, I spent a week there doing evangelism. I was up in uh, Idaho um, in June doing that. We had a temple open house uh, Saratoga Springs, where I'm from. I don't get to all of them. They're building them too fast. They're opening them too quickly. We don't have the resources to do that. But I was outside a temple in Ogden, Utah, and we were handing out a newspaper. In fact, in the back, if you, if you want to get the newspaper that we hand out, it's a four-page newspaper, and it explains some of the differences between what Christianity teaches and what Mormonism does teach. And uh, trying to hand out these newspapers in Ogden about... 45 minutes uh, north of where I live in Sandy, Utah, I was not very successful. I was not getting out any newspapers. A lot of Mormons were walking by me, and they just turned their noses up. They didn't want anything to do with my newspaper because it was anti-Mormon, it, it, which it's not. It's just explain, it's information explaining the differences. Well, after about an hour of that, I told my friend Randy Sweet, Randy, I just, I'm so discouraged. I'm so frustrated. We're not getting anything out here. I had about four or five copies of this book in my car. 
And I said, I'm going to go get those copies and I'm going to see if I can hand those out because I don't think they'll take anything. So I went to my car, took these books, because I keep these books, I've done this for years, and I use this all the time, but I've never just tried to hand them out. So there I was, standing on the corner with my friend Randy, and as they walked by, I'd say, free copy of The Miracle of Forgiveness, a book written by 12th President Spencer W. Kimball. It's a classic book. It's found underneath his church portrait in the Church History Museum, and they made a leather-bound copy of this book in 1998 and gave it out to all the church employees. You couldn't even buy it. In leather, gilded pages. This is a classic. If you don't have it, I would like to give it to you. Do you know how many books I handed out in the next hour? How many do you think of the four or five? Zero. But how many conversations did I get into? At least five to seven conversations, five-minute, ten-minute conversations. I was busy for the next hour. And after about an hour, and it was a lull finally, and I looked at Randy, and he looked at me, and I said, I think we have a new strategy. So we have been doing this in public evangelism in different places. I was just at BYU two weeks ago, in, uh, right where the home opener of BYU Cougars, they were playing, and uh, it was sold out, 50,000 fans walking by me, and I have great success talking to college students. I was out there two weeks ago. Um, uh, uh, this is a general conference. Randy, and I, Randy made a big sign that has the picture of the book. This, there's different pictures of it. This is the uh, 20th anniversary cover. And uh, so he made that cover. And so people going to general conference to hear their leaders speak and give scripture would, um, would pass by. And so, in fact, at a general conference in a day, I can hand out 30 or 40 copies of this, actually. At a BYU football game... I ended up getting into a conversation in the first five minutes with a young man, 19 years old, just returned from his mission after only five months, which meant that he came back with this honor, and uh, we talked for 45 minutes. He used a lot of my time because a lot of fans were passing by, but what a conversation. It was a glorious conversation, and I use this book the way I'm going to teach you right now, and at the end... He wasn't going to take a copy of the book. He did take a copy of the book. My aunt, wife asked, would you like an otter pop? There was a kid selling some otter pops there for 50 cents. And he says, oh, sure, I would like to do that. And so she hands the kid a dollar away from me because I'm now starting to try to hand out the copies of this book. And he turned to my wife and he said, you know, I'm only 19 and I don't know everything. Your husband has made me think I'm going to have to do some more thinking about this. I mean, if that's all you get... That is success. Evangelism is not, well, will you say the sinner's prayer with me on the sidewalk? That rarely happens. But it's helping them get closer and understanding a true version of what Christianity is versus what his religion teaches. So I have been doing this now for nine years. And I have handed out a thousand plus copies that I highlight while I watch football. I like football. I even like the Seahawks. I've had season tickets with the Seahawks before. So, so you're just watching football and just highlighting. And, uh, and, and, then, and then I have a paper in here that it gives the gospel using the, uh, the, the Spencer W. Kimball Miracle of Forgiveness tactic. And it has, I have, had, I have seen people come to the Lord through this. They realize that they can't do this on their own. They realize that grace is more than what their church is talking about. That it's a free gift and it's not by works lest any man should boast. Here's how 
um, I think you can use a strategy. First off, I'm not expecting you to go do what I do and buy these at thrift stores. I buy them at Deseret Industry Thrift Store, uh, usually for a dollar to three dollars, and then um, and then I give them away. So I've given out a lot of them. Uh, but many Mormons do own this book. Ask your Latter-day Saint friend, do you have the miracle of forgiveness? Explain that you find many of his quotes to be interesting. And now I've highlighted the good ones in there. Plus, I have a website you can go to, themiracleofforgiveness.com. And I show you, similar to what I'm teaching here today. But ask, could I share some of those quotes with you and get your opinion? I mean, what do you think most Latter-day Saints are going to say? Now, some of them hate this book. I, I actually, two weeks ago, I, I had people uh, cursing me for handing it out. How dare you hand that book out? They hate it because he did say some things against homosexuality. And right now, we're having a lot of things in Utah uh, with progressive stuff. And homosexuality is a big issue. And a lot of Latter-day Saints hold that homosexuality is okay. So a lot of the younger people, the progressives, have gotten a hold of them. And uh, so they're mad at him for saying that homosexuality is not going to get you the celestial kingdom. But... Could I get, I'm not trying to do that with them. I'm more interested in the quotes that have to do with salvation. Or would you be willing to discuss this book so we could discuss it? Uh, read this book so we could discuss it. If, and you can buy this book if you want. You can show it to them. You can let them have it. You can let them borrow it. And say, I, you know, I would suggest going through it and just looking at my highlights, if nothing else, and what I'm going to show you here today I think would be helpful. But even if you don't use it, I think this is going to be a valuable session. Spencer Kimball, what he does right in here is he cites the standard works, the four scriptures I talked about earlier, on practically every page of the book, especially the three unique scriptures. Not the Bible so much, more the Book of Mormon and Doctrine and Covenants, and even the, and even the Pearl of Great Price. There's your standard works right there, all four of them. And he does a good job. I think a neutral observer would say he's accurate. Whether you agree with it or not, I don't agree with the three standard works that are unique there, so I don't believe that it's God's word. But that's another, that's another story. Uh, Thomas S. Monson, at the time he was an apostle, he became the 16th president of the church. He said, President Spencer W. Kimball has always been a prolific worker. He spent several summers working on a book which he later entitled The Miracle of Forgiveness. As one reads the book, particularly the first portion, one wonders if anyone will make it to the celestial kingdom. Remember, that's the top kingdom where you hope to become God. However, in reading the final portion, it is apparent that with effort all can qualify. I need you to take that last part and stick it in the back of your head. In reading the final portion, it's apparent that with effort, all can qualify. Remember that, because I'm going to show you the final portion, the last two chapters, and I disagree with Thomas Monson that, that uh, somehow he counteracts everything that he's written else in that book. Uh, Richard L. Evans, just six months after the book had been published in 1969, says at General Conference, a place where Scripture is given... Many of you would be familiar with President Spencer Kimball's wonderful book on the miracle of forgiveness. I witness to you that God is a loving Father who will forgive and help us find peace and self-respect as we repent and show our sincerity by the lives we live. And there is nothing he asks of us that we cannot do. There is no requirement we cannot keep. If we are willing, if we want to, repentance is a miracle if it is sincere. Let me just say this. I think most Latter-day Saints are sincere. I think most Latter-day Saints want to keep the commandments, but I think most Latter-day Saints know they're not keeping the commandments, and that is the problem. He's 
accurate by, uh, Evans is right. First Nephi 3.7 says, God does not give commandments that cannot be kept. If he did, then he's not a good God. So the commandments he gives are doable. That's, that's a very important point because uh, he's right. First Nephi 3.7 is his support. Uh, Richard G. Scott at a general conference in 1995 says, In the miracle of forgiveness, Spencer W. Kimball gives a superb guide to forgiveness through repentance. It has helped many find their way back. Five years later at general conference, he says, I suggest you read President Spencer W. Kimball's inspired book. I don't use inspired lightly. He calls it inspired book, The Miracle of Forgiveness. It continues to help the faithful avoid the pitfalls of serious transgression. It likewise is an excellent handbook for those who have committed serious sins and want to find their way back. Read the last two chapters first to appreciate the full miracle of forgiveness before reading anything else. Remember that quote as well. Those two quotes I've given you, I want you to remember it because my last point is going to go with what he says. In a church manual that was published in 2006, all the members were supposed to read it. Quotes from Spencer W. Kimball, Teachings of Presence of the Church. They actually did this in Sunday school on the second and third Sundays of every month uh, when they used to have three-hour services. They downmade it two-hour services, and the, many Latter-day Saints were very happy for that. It meant they had one extra hour on Sundays. Uh, the editors referenced the miracle of forgiveness 69 times, 12% of the book, uh, was, was uh, in, in here. And some of the good quotes are in here. So a church manual. This is 2006. I know it was written in 1969, but 2006. And even today, if you go to the Church History Museum, they have the Hall of Presidents, and there is Spencer W. Kimball's picture, and there is, a, um, there is a display right below there, and guess which book they're going to emphasize? The Miracle of Forgiveness. This is true just as of three months ago. I mean, this has, been, this has been here forever. Someday I think they're going to take it out because I use this all the time. But I'm just trying to say, I, I'm, I'm telling people, hey, look, your church doesn't print it anymore. Since 2015, they stopped, the Deseret book stopped publishing it. But it's still considered, nobody's ever said anything bad about it. And so it's still considered authoritative. As far, and even if you don't agree with Spencer Kimball, you're going to have to deal with the quotes that he gives. The citations he gives, I think, are credible. So even if you're not going to use the tactic, and I'm not expecting you to do so because you're not going to be out using this. Uh, you don't have places uh, that are 50. My, my state is 50% LDS, so I have pretty good odds when I go out with this book. Wherever I go, at a BYU football game or wherever, it's, I'm going to run into a lot of Latter-day Saints. But I'm going to say consider the quotes from the book for the rest of the presentation and realize that they're authoritative, written by an apostle who later became the president of the church. The pedigree is there. I just spent a third of my presentation just trying to tell you why I'm handing this out. But does that make sense to you? Okay, so this is why we're using this book. This is how I do most of my evangelism that is out in the public. And when I'm in a car with an Uber driver, I didn't bring up the book, but I quoted the kinds of things that he was saying, and then I, I didn't have much time. I only had 10 or 15 minutes at the most to be able to give her the gospel. That was more important. I didn't need to do that because he was the one who was saying, all you have to do, be is a good person, and then I tried to explain to her, and she admitted that her church does teach that you have to keep all the commandments. So here we go. Five points. Number one, People are responsible to keep the commandments of God now. I can't tell you how many Latter-day Saints will tell me that 
as long as they do them later after they die. That is not what Spencer Kimball taught. That is not what the Bible teaches. That is not what the Book of Mormon teaches, and that's what I want to show you. He writes in chapter 1, and I like Spencer Kimball's titles of his chapters because he just tells you what it's all about. Chapter 1, this life is the time. What is he trying to say? This life is the time. Okay? He quotes accurately out of Alma chapter 34. Uh, it says in part, in verse 32, For behold, this life is the time for men to prepare to meet God. Yea, behold, the day of this life is the day for men to perform their labors. Hebrews 9.27 says, it, It's appointed unto man once to die, and then what? Comes the judgment. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, today is the day of salvation. There is no second chances. Jesus said, you don't want to go to hell. It's, it's a, a horrible place, gnashing of teeth. He talks twice as much about hell than he talks about heaven. And it's just one of those things. I don't like gravity when I'm 10,000 feet in the air and the plane's engine is conked out, but that's what happens. It's the law of gravity and it's the law of justice. As far as, unless you have grace, unless you have forgiveness of sins, you have to do it in this lifetime. Uh, so he says this on page two. So we're here at the beginning of the book. He says it thus becomes the overall responsibility of man to cooperate fully with the eternal God. Just so you know, that's a heresy. It's called Pelagianism. You can look that one up when you go home. Pelagianism says that you cooperate with God. God does his part, you do your part. That's not what the Bible teaches. To cooperate fully with the eternal God in accomplishing this objective. To this end... God created man to live in mortality and endowed him with the potential to perpetuate the race, to subdue the earth, to perfect himself and to become as capital G God, omniscient and omnipotent. Heresy, blasphemy. Are you going to become as capital G God? Now we'll have glorified bodies, but you're not going to become God. Pastor Dave, as nice as the people look here, I don't think there's anybody here who's God quality. Maybe correct me if I'm wrong. None of us are going to become God or as God. And then as far as being omnipotent, are we going to be omnipotent someday? Are there, is it possible for two beings to both be omnipotent? Think about two superpowers. Let's just go Superman and Batman. And you say, okay, let's see who is omnipotent. Let's arm wrestle. Let's have them arm wrestle. Well, What's that going to show if they're both omnipotent? Who's going to win? Well, they're not going to win. They're going to tie. They just won't be able to do it. because. Um, but that, that means they're not omnipotent if he's not able to do it. And if one of them does do it, the other one by nature is not. If we believe in one omnipotent being, God, then we're never going to be omnipotent ourselves. So he says, though, you have to, you have to cooperate to be able to become a God. That's what he's saying. Then he cites the, uh, most of the passage that's very good, verses 21 through 34 of Alma 34 that he cited on the first page in the Book of Mormon. And he says the time to act is now in this mortal life. One cannot with impunity delay his compliance with God's commandments. And this is not the only time he says you have to do it now. Many other places, uh, four or five at least different places, he says it has to be done now. In fact, if you go to verse 35 of Alma 34 in the Book of Mormon, it says that if you don't do it in this life, the devil doth seal you his. 
So if you don't do it, he's, you're into Satan's power, and you are not going to be able to take care of that in the next life. So very importantly, um, uh, Alma 34 is a very powerful citation for him to give. And he quotes from Joseph Smith on page 248. He says, while in this probation and in this life certainly means the period of our mortal lives. Mortality, second estate. You've got to do it here. In the section he calls repent in mortality, he writes this. It must be remembered that, whoops, that vicarious work for the dead. That's the work they do in the temples on behalf of dead people. Baptisms and sealings. Again, don't ask your Latter-day Saint friend what they do in there. They're not supposed to tell you, but I'm telling you, they are doing that. You can actually, if you want to see the ceremony, a guy actually went through and filmed it all secretly. New name Noah. If you go onto YouTube, new name Noah, you can see, they're boring. They're not that exciting, I'll be honest with you. They're several hours, but if you want to watch it, you could. They do work on behalf of dead people. Most of the work is done on behalf of dead people. Only time they go through for themselves is when they get married. They, they, uh, they learn each other's new name. They, they learn the handshakes, the, the tokens. So it must be remembered that vicarious work for the dead is for those who could not do the work for themselves. Men and women who live in mortality in this life and who have heard the gospel here have had their day, their 70 years, to put their lives in harmony, to perform the ordinances, to repent, and to perfect their lives. This is toward the end of the book. He's saying you got to do it now. So that's the first point of the five. Number one, you must keep the commandments of God. By the way, how many commandments do you think they're supposed to keep? Ask a Latter-day Saint, how many commandments do you have to keep? And you know what they'll say? All of them. How often? Well, all the time. Then you can ask the question, well, how are you doing at that? And they go, not very good. Because this is the, what has been called the impossible gospel. This is not a job for you. This is God's work. God does the work, and that's misunderstood in Mormonism. Number two, and I think we can agree, unclean things cannot enter into God's presence. See, we have a problem, don't we, in Christianity? We call it sin. Romans 3.23, all have what? Sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And if it was a period there, we're sunk. The wages of sin is death, that's despair. But there's a comma instead. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. But unclean things cannot enter into God's presence. This is what uh, he cites on chapter 2. No unclean thing can enter. Okay, there he goes. He says, he quotes from Moses 6.57 in the Pearl of Great Price. All men everywhere must repent or they can in no wise inherit the kingdom of God for no unclean thing can dwell there or dwell in his presence. I would agree. Kimball writes on page 19, but to God who is perfection, cleanliness means moral and personal cleanliness. Less than that is in one degree or another uncleanliness and hence cannot dwell with God. Then what he does, and I did this with Grant, the young man, 19-year-old man, two weeks ago, out on the streets of Provo, right across the street from the stadium, Lavelle Edwards Stadium, um, uh, because he said, you know, um, I think I'm pretty much doing everything I'm supposed to do. I said, well, can I I open up page 25, and I want to read to you, because he lists over 80 things you can't do. And I, and I picked, I, I always like to pick in the middle. And so I said, uh, well, let me, let me just read a few. I won't read them all. I'll just read a few. How are you doing at irreverence, boasting, arrogance, pride, 
And he, his countenance, you could see it, his countenance went like that. So, do you have a problem with any of those, Grant? He goes, well, yeah, I do. I do have a problem with those. I said, I just read four of the 80 plus. So you're not doing everything you're supposed to do. He goes, yeah, you're, I guess I'm not. And I said, well, join the crowd because I, I too, I, mean, I struggle with the things that he says, you know, envy, jealousy, malice, greed, uh, disobedience to parents. There's all these things that he says. He says, you have to not do all these things. And then at the very end, he says, by the way, if I forgot one and you have minimized the sin you're doing because you didn't find it exactly in my list, please add that in. So, you, so people like a checkoff list. I've done this, I've done that, I got baptized, I got confirmed, I go to church, I went to the temple, I got married. They like that. But he says, you know, even if you don't have the whole list, check yourself. And if you don't do it, you're what's called a covenant breaker. You have to understand in Mormonism, there's three places you make covenants. At the age of eight, beginning at the age of eight, when you get baptized, you get immersed, not at the temple, you get immersed at your local chapel uh, where the ward meets. That's what they're called. It's like a church gathering, but they don't call it a church. They call it a ward or a chapel. And, uh, and so when you get baptized, you promise to keep how many of the commandments? All of them. How often? All the time. And then you go to the temple. Every time you go to the temple, you make a covenant with God promising that you're going to keep all of the commandments all of the time. And then every week, tomorrow, at every service here in Spokane, they will have what's called sacrament. They will pass around the deacons, these, these uh, 12, 13, 14-year-old boys called deacons will pass around the elements, and you take the bread and the water. They use water, and they take that, and then they will pray, and they will say, I repent of my sins from all this last week, and I promise I'm going to do better. I'm going to keep the commandments. And then guess what? The following Sunday, guess what they're doing again? They're doing it all over again and making a mockery of this. And so covenant breaker, those are the three times you make this. And he says, akin to many of the other sins is that of the covenant breaker. The person baptized promises to keep some of the laws and commandments. No, all the laws and commandments of God. He has partaken of the sacrament, like the Lord's Supper, and repledged his allegiance, his fidelity, promising and covenanting he will keep all God's laws. If you don't, you are a covenant breaker. And that is a problem. Earlier this year, I received an email from a Latter-day Saint on this topic, and he said, there was one item on the list, because he took it seriously. We, we talked about this. I actually met him at a Costco, out of all places, at a hot dog court, and I, I used this tactic I'm sh sharing with you. So he went home, and I gave him a copy of the book. He read it. He said, I read it, and I set up an appointment with my bishop. That's the ecclesiastical leader. We discussed it. We met together once a month for the next three or four months, and between the three of us, God, my bishop, and me, we overcame it. I was shocked to read this. And this is the guy I know. I, I've, I've gone back and forth with him several other times. So, so I, I would not respond the way I'm going to if it was a first-time encounter, but I know this guy. So I said, I, I was a little sarcastic. I, okay, a little carnal maybe got into me, but I'm so glad you are doing and continue to keep all the commandments of God. You are practically the only person whom I have talked to who is doing everything 100% that he's supposed to. As Kimball said, numerous members are failing to live righteous lives. Do they let you speak in firesides, which is kind of like the, they have a special meeting uh, that people who are up 
in life are, are, are giving. They're, they're the speakers. And others, so you can tell others how you can are able to continually keep all of God's commandments. He wrote back, and he, he knew I was being sarcastic, but I said, listen, nobody can do this. Only person who could do this is Jesus. Billy Graham couldn't. Billy Sunday couldn't. You name the pastor, Pastor Dave Farley, Eric Johnson, none of us are able to keep all the commandments continually in this life. There's no way. We struggle with sin. Paul even struggles with sin. So number two, unclean things cannot enter into God's presence. Now it's going to get good. Now we're going to get good. It is necessary for people to abandon their sins. When? Now. And this is the title of chapter 12. Chapter 12 he writes, abandonment of sin. And he cites out of D&C 5843. By this he may know if a man repenteth of his sins. Behold, he will confess them and forsake them. And then he says this, true repentance prods one to action. Okay, so you have to abandon your sins. I can't tell you how many times I'm standing out there and I'm at BYU the other night uh, handing these out and people will walk by. I've already read it. A lot of people, especially if they're over 40, have read this book. I'll say, oh, great. And I'll, I'll focus on them. I'll even walk with them a little way. I'll say, so are you doing everything that Spencer Kimball said you're supposed to do? I just put them in an awkward position. If they say, yes, I am, their wife is standing right there, and I will ask her, you've got to tell me more about this. Really? He's doing everything? And so now he has to say, well, no, I'm not, but I'm trying. I'm doing the best I can. And then I just cite right out of the book. I've memorized it. On pages 164 and 165, it says this, trying is not sufficient, nor is repentance complete when one merely tries to abandon sin. To try is weak. To do the best we can is not strong. We must always do better than we can. This is true in every walk of life. How can you do better than you can? We have one of the highest Prozac usage rates in the entire nation in Utah. There's a lot of people who are looking really good on the outside, but on the inside, they're full of dead men's bones. They, are, they know they're not doing what they're supposed to. They are scared of dying. If you go to a Mormon funeral, maybe you've done this before, there's no hope there. It's a lot of fear. They're scared of dying because they haven't done everything they were supposed to, and they were hoping someday they were going to achieve that status. Trying is not sufficient. Trying means that you got the, uh, the loser's award. Even second place is the loser's award. You have to get first place. If you say you climb the mountain, you say you climb the mountain. You don't say I tried to climb the mountain. When you say you tried to do something that was possible, then you haven't done what was possible. And this is the problem. And Latter-day Saints hate that quote. They hate that quote, but he's right. If God hasn't given commandments that are impossible to keep, they're all possible to keep, then you should be able to keep these. Why aren't you? I like to ask older people, when are you going to start? When are you going to start doing this? Then he says this on pages 169 and 170. Forgiveness canceled on reversion to sin. Is that good news? Is that good news? Absolutely not. This is what it says in Doctrine and Covenants, section 82, verse 7. This verse was instrumental in my friend Dave Neely uh, became a Christian. He was a missionary, and a friend of mine in California uh, shared with him this verse, and it bothered him so badly when he got back, he left Mormonism, became an atheist. He later became a Christian. This verse is a killer. Old sins return, 
says the Lord in his modern revelations. Many people either do not know this or they conveniently forget it. And then he cites from DNC 82.7, go your ways and sin no more, the Lord warned. And again, unto that soul who sinneth shall the former sins return, saith the Lord your God. It's such a heavy burden to be a faithful Latter-day Saint because you might think you have it all down and then you fall back and you do that same sin. According to this verse, all your former sins come back and there was no such thing as forgiveness. There was no forgetfulness on God's part. He's remembering them. He's just keeping them stored up. And when you do it again, he puts it right back on you. This is why I think there's a lot of depression in my state and with Latter-day Saints. It should not be the way it is with Christians Christians may know that they have eternal life according to 1 John 5, 13. We may know we have eternal life. So that is the third point. It's, it's necessary to abandon your sins now. Number four, by abandoning sins completely, forgiveness is for available. Isn't that good news? All you got to do is keep that list that Spencer Kimball wrote on page 25. If you like a checkoff list, he's giving it to you. Just check them off and, and, you know, and then you're done. But it's not possible to abandon sins completely. But that's the only way you get forgiveness. It's, not a, it's a miracle if you get forgiveness in Mormonism, the title of that book. Let me just read to you some of the things that are said, pages 201 and 202. And by the way, I'm only sharing with you some of the things that I highlight in this book. I'm just giving you, because I'm limited on time. But I like Doctrine and Covenants, section 1, verses 31 and 32. It says, For I, the Lord cannot look upon sin with the least degree of allowance. Nevertheless, he that repents and keeps the commandments of the Lord shall be forgiven. Did you see what was just said here? You have to repent. How do you know you repent? You stop doing the sin. We quoted that earlier, DNC 5843. If you could just learn six or seven of those verses and kind of get familiar with them, they're killer verses. They're their own verses. I'm not, I'm not uh, telling them what it is. I'm, I'm just reading what your leader has said and what your scripture says. This is the power of this, this apologetic method. You have to repent by stopping your sins, and then you must do all the commandments of the, of, the, uh, of the Lord, then you shall be forgiven. And this is God speaking. This is Jesus speaking, actually. I, the Lord, this is Jesus saying, you have to stop your sin, then you'll be forgiven. And now this is what Kimball writes. This scripture is most precise. First one repents. Having gained that ground, he must then live the commandments of the Lord to retain his vantage point. This is necessary to secure complete forgiveness. There is no complete forgiveness in Mormonism unless you abandon all sins. You've got to get that across. And down deep, the Latter-day Saint knows it. He knows that's true. You are basically, he's standing on a stool and he's kind of, and all you're doing is you're, 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 you're kicking against that and it's showing them that their position is not tenable. They're not capable of doing what their religion says that must be done. And they have a fear, but there's no need to have that fear if the gospel of the Bible is true. And then he says this on pages 205 and 206. He, he cites from Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Um, you know what Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says. Those are the two best verses to use out on the street. For we're saved by grace through faith. This is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. He quotes it and he mocks it. Latter-day Saints do not like that. They, in fact, 
Grant asked me about deathbed confessions. Do you believe in deathbed confessions? We talked about that. Because he thought, well, you can't just, you can't just at the very end of your life uh, uh, say you're sorry and all your life was a terrible mess and, and you think you're going to be forgiven for that? We talked about that and I was able to show him, yeah. If that's the time that you do that at the very end, that's, I mean, you waited to the end. You shouldn't have, but you did. But I said, Grant, Grant you, uh, you, you think you're a saved individual, but you said you're struggling with sin yourself. So you're no better off than the guy that's on the deathbed. And he admitted, yeah, I guess I am. It was a great conversation, 45 minutes with, with this guy named Grant. Uh, this is what he says, one of the most fallacious doctrines originated by Satan and propounded by man is that man is saved by the grace of God. That belief in Jesus Christ alone is all that is needed for salvation. Do they teach here that belief in Jesus alone is all that's needed for justification? Is that taught here? I would hope so because that's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches. And he says, you're being taught by Satan. Wow. Do you see the dichotomy? So while a Latter-day Saint says he believes in salvation by grace, it's a much different version because grace in Mormonism is God's enabling power. If you go look up grace on churchofjesuschrist.org, just look it up. They have a dictionary, and that's what it says. God's enabling power. God's enabling power to do what? God's enabling power to keep the commandments. How many of them? All of them. How often? All the time. God's enabling power is not. It's all about God, and if you want to say enabling power, he's the one that, that forgives us of our sin, and it's only based on his gift and his grace that that happens. Well, what about temple members? Because to become a temple member, again, you have, to, you have to go to church regularly, you have to go to the temple, you have to be baptized, you can't drink the hot drinks, uh, all the things, all the rules to be able to get one of those little temple recommend cards. It's very special. Only one out of four Mormons has that. Maybe some of your friends don't have it, which if they don't have it, they're not going to the celestial kingdom. This is what he says on page 246. Exaltation, going to the celestial kingdom, is available only to righteous members of the church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. Only to those who accept the gospel. Only to those who have their endowments and holy temples of God and have been sealed for eternity. And you know what? I bet when a lot of Latter-day Saints were reading that, they're going... Oh, I checked that one off. I checked that. Yes, I, I, I got married in the temple. Yes, yes. And then he says, and, the dangerous and. And, after doing all those things, who then continue to live righteously throughout their lives. Then he has this to say for those proud Mormons who think they've done everything. He says, numerous members of the church. He's talking about his church will be disappointed. All will fail of these blessings who fail to live worthy lives even though the temple ordinances have been done for them. You could be a temple Latter-day Saint and if you don't keep all the commandments, those things don't work. You're headed to the terrestrial kingdom where a bunch of Gentiles like you and me are gonna be. And only true Jews get to go to the celestial kingdom and you have to be one who keeps all the commandments. Then he cites out of the Doctrine and Covenants, section 76, and he says, too late, the terrestrial for them, it could have been the celestial, it could have been an exaltation, but they procrastinated the day of their preparation that comes right out of Alma 34 that I quoted earlier. The same lamentable cry of too late will apply to many of today's church members who did not heed the warning. Do you see why a lot of Latter-day Saints hate me handing this book out? They don't want me to do this because they hate this. It's, it's convicting for them. But he says it can be done. Page 288, 
Again, I'm just reading what he says. In the context of the spirit of forgiveness, one good brother asked me, yes, that is what ought to be done, but how do you do it? Doesn't that take a superman as a Christian? The answer is yes, it does take a superman. And he paid the price and he said it is finished. And he imputes his righteousness into our accounts, not based on what we do, but based on what he did. See, being a Christian isn't about what we do, but it's about who we are a new creation in Christ. And then who we are certainly has a direct effect on what we do. Because they like to quote James 2.20, faith without works is dead. And I say, I agree with James. In fact, let me read to you verse 10 of Ephesians 2. I just quoted to you, we're not saved by works. And then he goes on in verse 10 and he says, for we are God's workmanship created by Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. It does take a superman to give you imputation. It's the crediting of righteousness that's not your own. And this makes the difference between Christianity and all other world religions. And I have taught on many other world religions because every single one says, what do I have to do for God? In, for instance, Buddhism, you have to meditate. You want to get to nirvana. You've got to do the Four Noble Truths. And, uh, there, there, there's, there, there's things that have to be done. Um, it, if you're going to be a Muslim, five, you know, the five pillars of faith. There, there's always having to do things. But Christianity is opposite of that. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship. Christianity says not, what do I do for God? But it's, what did God do for me? And what do I do as a result? If you understand that concept, you can share your faith with a Latter-day Saint because they don't get it. And they say it's too easy. And I say it wasn't too easy for the man on the cross who died for your sin, for di- died for my sin because I received that gift. So he says, doesn't it take a superman? Yes, I said, but we are commanded to be supermen. He's pointing to himself and all Latter-day Saints. Said the Lord, be therefore perfect even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. We are gods in embryo and the Lord demands perfection of us. But they're trying, they're doing their best. They just aren't able to do it. That, car, that carrot is in front of the horse and he's never going to get there. He's never going to arrive because it's impossible, the impossible gospel. So how does one get forgiven? Pages 324, 325. It says, your heavenly Father has pr- promised forgiveness upon total repentance and meeting some of the requirements. No, meeting all the requirements, but that forgiveness is not granted merely for the asking. There must be works, many works, and an all-out total surrender with a great humility and a broken heart and a contrite spirit. It depends upon you whether or not you are forgiven and when. It could be weeks, it could be years, it could be centuries before that happy day when you have the positive assurance that the Lord has forgiven you. That depends on your humility, your sincerity, your works, your attitudes. What did you hear a whole lot of in that paragraph? You, the onus is on your back. You have to do it. Did you hear anything about Jesus in there? It's in their church. His name is in their church's name, the title of it. But when it comes to this, and I believe that Spencer Kimball is not unique. I think all Latter-day Saints always come down to this, what I've done, all the good things I've done. I'm a good person. And I always like to quote Matthew chapter 7. I like to, uh, her name was Linda, and I, I told Linda, I said, in Matthew 7, Jesus said, there will be many who say, Lord, Lord, look at all the good things I do. I did. What is uh, Jesus' response? He says, I never knew you. Depart from me. 
So number four, abandoning sins is the only way you'll get forgiveness. Now the last one, a person must completely rid oneself of even the desire to sin. Remember, um, I had told you to remember those two quotes about waiting to the end of the book. Well, I'm going to read to you from the second to last chapter where Spencer Kimball on uh, page 354 and 355 gives a quote from Alma chapter 13 in the Book of Mormon. And this is what he says. I th- and there's other quotes. I'm just giving you one. If you get the book, you'll see I have other quotes. It's not easier. The last two chapters are not, but this takes the cake. It is that the former transgressor must have reached a point of no return to sin wherein there is not merely a renunciation but also a deep abhorrence of the sin where the sin becomes most distasteful to him and where the desire or urge to sin is cleared out of his life. It's not just stopping the sin. It's that you don't even have the desire to sin. At that rate, not even Paul was saved because Paul said he struggled more than anybody. Oh, what a wretched man that I am. Who will save me from this mess I'm in? Only by the grace of Jesus, he says in Romans. So I finished the conversation. I've already kind of given these, but do you believe that Spencer Kimball accurately interpreted the passages? And they'll say, no, he was wrong. Well, can you help me then show me how can you take the passages that he said any differently? I'm trying to be objective. Do you believe that he was accurate? I, uh, uh, Grant admitted. He says, I think he's right. And that's why he told my wife, away from me, I have some things to think about. That's all we're trying to do is get them to think. Number two, do you believe that the LDS church no longer teaches what Kimball is teaching? Because they'll say that. Oh, we've changed since then. Oh, can you show me where they've abandoned the teaching? There was a book written by a current president, uh, apostle a few years ago, and uh, Divine Gift of Forgiveness, uh, written by, um, I forget his name now, Divine Gift of Forgiveness, uh, Neil Anderson is the apostle's name. And I've read it. You can go on our website, type in Divine Gift of Forgiveness. You'll see a review I did, and I incorporated, because it's supposed to kind of replace the miracle of forgiveness. And what I tell people is he uses the same verses. He says the same things. He just says it nicer. Kimball was pretty straightforward. You saw some of the straightforward quotes. I'd rather the doctor tell me you have cancer and not pussyfoot around with me. Tell me what the truth is and let me have that and I'll have to deal with it. So Neil Anderson doesn't say anything different. He just says it nicer. That's, and, and you can look at the review because I put them side by side. And then how are you doing at what Kimball said was necessary for a person to receive forgiveness of sins? That's the miracle of forgiveness approach that I use. Do you see how maybe you could use a little bit of that? Maybe possibly uh, um, understanding a little more of what a leader said about that, and maybe you can get into a conversation. I'd encourage you maybe even to pick up a book. Uh, They're $10. I brought some with me if you would like to get that. No obligation, of course, but uh, I do have the notes in there, and I do have the books highlighted.